Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to health care. Hello, and welcome to To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. I am Jim Morrow, and I appreciate very much each and every one of you taking your time to join us for another podcast. This is episode 41 of To Your Health with Dr. Jim Mara. Today is September 23, 2020. The year is three quarters done. Hallelujah. Although I'm not 100% sure that we've got a whole lot better to expect in 2021, but you can always hope. So I am here in my office studio. We are still distancing when we do the podcast and uh, John Ray, my producer, is there in his luxurious home studio with his headset and his boom mic and everything else. He is fixed up. I'm here to tell you, John, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. You sound excited to be here. <laughs> well, you, I don't know. You kind of embarrassed me with telling me all that stuff, but Man, you, you got a great looking studio. I'm going to come visit one day when the virus is better. With my so, mask on, of course. We are. Uh, a, a family medicine, when I say we, I mean Mara Family Medicine, is a family practice in North Georgia. We have offices in Cumming and Milton, Georgia. We like to say that we are bringing care back to health care because I think it's important that when people are here that they feel like we care about them and we have their best interest in heart. I've put my email address on my business card, and every patient has access to that. And it's the, the only business, only email address that I use for the practice. So if anybody ever has a problem with the way things are done at Mara Family Medicine, I encourage them, as I would you, to let us know what we're not doing right so that we can fix it. And John, I'm very excited to announce today that we just found out this week that we won the award for best family practice in North Atlanta for the fifth year in a row. We've been eligible five years and we've won it five years and we're very excited about that. And we we contribute that to an incredible staff, but mainly to a a whole lot of fantastic patients that use us for our care and, and work with us to try to keep them healthy. And we're real excited about winning that once again this year. Congratulations and a shout out to all your folks. They do a great job. Thank you very much. I am absolutely blessed to have what I believe is the best staff in show business. And in this case, family medicine as well. Um, we've been talking a lot about the coronavirus, as you might imagine. We've had some other topics interspersed here in the last several weeks, but today we're going to talk about coronavirus in specific as, as it relates to one particular area. But I want to start out with a little bit of an update. Um, just uh, Wednesday of, I think of today actually, of this week, Johnson & Johnson became the fourth drug maker, the fourth vaccine manufacturer to announce that they are in phase three trials with a vaccine candidate. So when you make a vaccine before it's licensed, it's referred to as a vaccine candidate. And they have one, Moderna has one, Pfizer has one, and AstraZeneca has one. Now, the health experts still maintain that a vaccine is not likely to be proven safe and effective and ready to go for people to get before Election Day. And I think that's always been a very rosy prediction. I don't think there was ever any chance in the world we would have a vaccine by November 3rd, but we're going to have one, it looks like. And so we're excited about the possibility. Although there was a report last week that came out 
about the use of masks and very little has torn people apart like the whether or not you should wear a mask the question is just crazy but a report came out last week that showed that masks reduced transmission of the virus by 50 to 75 percent if you look at the regulations that the fda created for possible vaccines they said that in order to be licensed in america a vaccine had to be at least 51% effective. So already anybody can do that math and you can tell that wearing a mask is already as good or better than the most likely vaccines that we might get. So everybody wants to get a vaccine so we can quit wearing masks. I'm just not sure it's that simple. I'm not at all sure it's that simple. There are way too many people who continue to say that they're not going to take a vaccine no matter what. And that has to do as much as anything with uh, the speed with which these things are going to be coming to market. There are five different types of vaccines. I would refer you back to the recent podcast on the vaccine, but it does look like uh, we're going to have some. My suspicion is it's going to be this time next year before they're readily available. And that's going to probably be just to healthcare workers and then probably to the most at risk and so forth and so on. But we are getting there. And it's a good thing we're getting there. The most recent data from Johns Hopkins University says that across the planet, there have been more than 31 million cases of coronavirus infection across the planet. At least 970,000 people, almost a million people, have died from this infection. And in the United States, more than 6 million infections and over 200,000 deaths. So obviously this is a problem. And I personally have had five patients who have died because of coronavirus. They didn't have just coronavirus infection. And and it really kind of angers me because the majority of the time when a patient will ask me, well, have you had anybody die from the virus? And I would say, yes. Well, at this point I've had five. Their first question they will ask me is, well, were they older? And the truth is, yes, they were older. And I'll say to the patient, but what they weren't was dying. These people were not dying. They had diseases going on, but they were managing and they were doing okay. They were spending time with their family and their grandchildren and so forth. And now they're not because somebody elected not to wear a mask when they should have. So that's my feeling about that. Uh, The last thing about vaccine, uh, most people are aware of the fact that AstraZeneca had to pause their trial because they had one fairly severe adverse reaction. It it turns out, as people suspected, that that is an episode of transverse myelitis, which is a condition where the spinal cord gets very inflamed. It doesn't send signals down to the legs and arms like it's supposed to, and it can lead to uh, crippling effects. It is one of the known possible complications from any vaccine, but it doesn't happen much. There's another thing that happens with typically flu and flu vaccine called Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is similar to what I just said. It's a condition of weakness and eventually paralysis in a lot of people. And for most people, it's not very long lasting and it's not really devastating, but it has potential. But a study came out that showed that, yes, about one in a million people who get the flu vaccine, I'm not certain about that number, so don't hold me to that, but let's say one in a million people that get the flu vaccine will get Guillain-Barre as a reaction to that shot. 
but the likelihood of getting Guillain-Barre from a flu infection from the illness itself is a good bit greater than one in a million. So just because somebody says that you can get this with a vaccine doesn't mean you can't get worse without a vaccine. You have to love statistics. Uh, as Mark Twain said, there's lies, damn lies and statistics. And he absolutely knew what he was talking about. So today I want to talk about COVID-19 specifically as it applies to sports and Everybody that knows me knows that I'm a Clemson fan. Uh, I've been a very happy Clemson fan for the last several years. Prior to that, I was just a typical Clemson fan, which meant, you know, we won six games a year. We were okay. If we won eight, we thought it was the, uh, the best thing that ever happened. I remember one year we went undefeated at home and won seven games at home, and Coca-Cola put out a commemorative bottle because Clemson won seven games at home, and I I think we probably lost the other four. I'm not sure, but it was such a big deal. So I'm a Clemson fan. I'm a football fan. I like sports like a lot of people. And it has completely disrupted sports to this point uh, in America and really across the planet. But now we're starting to see sports coming back a little bit. We're starting to see that people are realizing what's necessary to be able to play sports safely, which is obviously the goal. Uh, so I want to talk about this. Some now the the big reason that there's a problem is because that everybody that gets this virus doesn't have a bad outcome, and everybody that gets this virus doesn't have a inconsequential uh, course of of the disease. There are all kinds of gray scales in between, but we know that when people get severe symptoms, they can have low blood pressure, they can have cardiac arrhythmias, they can require intubation, they can require oxygen support, they can have kidney failure and heart failure, multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, and some of these football players are still in that category. You have to be aware of these things, and you have to realize that some people who get really sick from this virus are going to have these things, and a lot of these things are not conditions that are just going to go away when the two or three or four-week course of the virus is gone. One of the biggest things that's been concerned about is a condition called myocarditis. Myocarditis is very simply inflammation of the heart. That's what the word means. And because the heart gets inflamed because of the virus, it might not work as well as it did previously. And if you think about the heart, you know, you're depending with every step you take on your heart, pumping out enough blood to feed your body and your legs and your muscles. And if you're running for a living or for a scholarship, then the fact that that heart's not pumping as well as it otherwise would is a great big deal. When, when students who are in college athletics and even high school athletics right now get this virus, if they have a severe case, they're looking at restricted participation for three to six months. Okay. We're looking at it being a long time. These people have got to be cleared by certainly their primary care physician and in a perfect world, a cardiologist to be sure that they are safe and it is safe for them to go back and play. It's not always a good thing. If your heart's inflamed to go out and get your heart rate up to 120 beats a minute and be breathing 28 times a minute as you run from one end of the football field to the other, because a lot of things can happen. And the number one thing that comes to mind is an arrhythmia and irregular rhythm which would make your heart not pump blood. And that's how people die on a basketball court or on a football field or any 
any contest uh, field like that. So it's a, a big deal, and luckily, it's being taken very, very seriously in these schools. Now, this concern is the very thing that made the Pac-12 and the Big Ten decide not to play football at the beginning of this football season. And if you follow the sport at all, you know that now the Big Ten has seen that with some changes that we're going to talk about in a minute, it it's safer than they thought it was going to be. So they're going to be playing come October, late October. So if you take these people that had severe symptoms, many, many, many more people are going to have more moderate symptoms. And and they're, they're at much less risk to have some of the severe complications, but they are still possible. You know, and if you have moderate symptoms, instead of being out three to six weeks, I think what they're going to do is they're going to want people to be symptom-free for at least 14 days, at least two weeks. Now, that's not two weeks from the time you got sick. That's not like trying to figure out if you're contagious. We're talking about two weeks with no symptoms. You're not short of breath. You're not coughing. You're not congested. Your sense of smell is back. Everything's been okay for two weeks, and then you can get clearance to get back on the field. And anybody who has a history of any current or past cardiac symptoms is going to require even more testing and more time before they can get back on the field. And if you look at how these people, well, these students especially, are, are living, you know, they're in, in either in dorms or apartments, they're certainly living in groups together. And so you have to be concerned also about what are you going to do with the people who are infected with SARS-CoV-2 or who had close contact with people with COVID-19. So because of the growing amount of literature that's available about this relationship between the virus and myocarditis, everybody, all children and adolescents, and that covers pretty much all your football players who are exposed to the virus, whether they have symptoms or not, are going to have to have a 14-day resting period. So if they're, if they're doing contact tracing, and they are doing a lot of contact, contact tracing, you're looking at a two-week period in the middle of a football season when you can't do anything. You can't practice. You can't play. You can't do anything but take it easy, basically. And you have to be asymptomatic, have no symptoms, for 14 days. So if you never get symptoms, it might just be a 14-day period, but if you get any, it's going to extend that period. So you can see where this could be a huge problem. Uh, of course, they're trying to get these games in, and I think everybody knows that the number one reason they're trying to do it is because of the financial impact that it will have on the school and on the, the businesses and on the towns that are associated with these schools. I mean, it's so much of a, a town the size of Clemson or Athens, Georgia, somewhere like that, so much of the economy is based on people coming into town on these Saturdays in the fall. And if they're not doing that, it obviously presents a huge problem for them. Now, the AA, the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and also the American Academy of Family Physicians, has encouraged that all patients with COVID-19, with, with symptoms or no, get screened and cleared by either the primary care physician, whether it's a family doc or a pediatrician. And that like I said, it does not depend on the symptoms that you've had. It purely is a matter of having had the virus. Now, I think everybody knows by now that some of the symptoms you can get are shortness of breath and fatigue, and you can have palpitations. You can even pass out. 
but you don't have to have any of those to have enough virus to cause your heart a problem. So I think it's real important that people understand that we're not just talking about people who are in the hospital. We're talking about people who might have a fairly mild case. So I think it makes it easy to understand how a conference like the Big Ten, for example, would decide that they're not going to play football this fall. Now, where I fault that philosophy or that decision-making process is that they were talking about playing in the spring of 2021, and I can't imagine, frankly, what they thought was going to be different in the spring of 2021 as compared to now, because from a vaccine standpoint and from a virus in the community standpoint, I don't think anything is going to be any different, certainly not any better in the spring uh, coming up in about six months. I just don't think that's going to be the case. So what do we, what do we think could happen? And I think this is important to understand because a lot of people don't understand what the possibilities are once you have a virus like this. Well, one is pulmonary fibrosis. If you know somebody who has been in the hospital and had to be on a ventilator for COVID-19, they are almost certain to develop a condition called pulmonary fibrosis. Pulmonary fibrosis is a condition where the lungs, instead of being very elastic and being able to expand nicely to take in a lot of air, if you take a breath and they just get fuller and fuller and fuller until you exhale, pulmonary fibrosis makes them stiff. And it's like having a band, a very large band, wrapped around you very tightly all the time. So you just can't get a good deep breath. Another condition that can come from the severe uh, case of, of COVID-19, I mentioned earlier myocarditis. Well, when you if you get a mild case of this virus, you might have myocarditis and it might pass, but you also can be left with myocarditis in the long haul, which would lead to shortness of breath, just like pulmonary fibrosis, but also to heart failure and swelling in the legs and inability to just walk across the, the room without getting short of breath. So these are things that we're trying to avoid. This is why it's a big deal. People, people say, well, you know, less than 1% of people are dying from this virus. And that's probably true. But there are a lot of things that can happen to you after an infection with coronavirus that are other than death. They can make you miserable and unable to do the things you want to do and need to do. So that's, that's why it's a really big deal to me, at least. What's obvious now that was not so obvious early on is that young people are at risk. And when we started this nine months ago, we felt like, and it seemed like young people were not getting this infection so much. And when they did, it wasn't such a big deal, but we've already had one football player in the state of California that died from complications from COVID-19. It's not impossible to have a bad outcome or a serious case of COVID-19 if you're young. It's not at all. And there almost certainly will be more. And you have to wonder what's going to happen to college football or NFL football or the Major League Baseball or any of these things when one of those players dies from COVID-19. A Division One player, a Power 5 team, I think it's going to have devastating effect on the sport and it's it's likely to happen. I'm not going to say it's certain to, because it's not, but it's absolutely likely to. 
I want to take just a second and talk about Mara Family Medicine, if I can. Uh, we are currently seeing both sick and well people in our offices. We are blessed to have an office in Cumming and one in Milton, Georgia, about 13 miles apart. And right now what we're doing is we're seeing our well patients, physicals, blood pressure refills, med refills, and so forth, in the Cumming location. And we're seeing sick patients of just about any description in the Milton location. We're doing COVID testing down there. Uh, we're on the verge of doing the uh, rapid Abbott ID Now test. Uh, as soon as we can get some cartridges, I think all the cartridges are going out to college football. But we're going to be doing those on site, and that's about a 15-minute test. So we're going to be offering that in our Milton office. And we're doing this so that we don't mix the sick and the well people. If you come to the coming office, you can be fairly sure that it's safer coming here than it is going to probably Publix or Home Depot. And heaven knows there's lots and lots of people going to Publix and Home Depot. So that's what we're doing for that. We are very interested in your thoughts. I am very interested in your thoughts about possible topics for an episode. So if you want to reach out to me, you can email me at Dr. Jim, that's drjim at toyourhealth.md, or you can tweet us. We are at toyourhealthmd on Twitter, and we would welcome any and all comments or topic ideas or anything else you might want to say. So back to COVID-19 and athletics, the thing that has made this season possible, even to this point, is testing. And that really is what's changed between the time the Big Ten decided not to play and reverse that decision and decided to play is availability of testing. So when we started out this process, you might send off a test. My partner knew someone who, who sent a test off and it took 20 days to get a result. Well, that's the same as not being tested. Even, even two days is a long time in my opinion, because when you get the result back, that just tells you what the situation was two days ago, not what it is right now when you need to know. So the availability of testing has been huge. And right now, the process for most of these teams is to test three times a week. Now, some are talking about testing every day, and testing every day is the ideal. That is exactly what needs to happen when they can, but most of them are doing three times a week. There's a medical advisory group uh, as part of the NCAA, I believe it is, that requires all team members to be tested within three days of game day. Yes, leading up to game day, one test the day before kickoff and another test 48 hours after the game. So those are the, the three times they're being tested. Now, again, I think they should be tested every day. And if it costs too much to do it, then they just can't afford to play. But they're doing it this way right now. And, and this is a whole lot better than testing the way it was going to be. And these are test results that you get back when you have the test done, essentially. It's, it's not something where you're having to wait a long time uh, to, to get that result back. And every, every student who has a positive test is going to undergo a cardiac evaluation that includes an electrocardiogram, a blood test for heart damage, and an echocardiogram. That's the ultrasound of the heart that you get that shows you the chambers of your heart and the valves and how well the chambers are pumping. That's, a, that's probably the most important and the most beneficial test of all of these, at least in my opinion. And so the protocol is that if you're positive, before you can come back, you're going to have all of these tests done. You're going to wait the amount of time I was talking about earlier. 
And so you're going to be able to be fairly sure when you come back that it's going to be safe for you to do that. Now, the other thing that comes up when you talk about football games is spectators. Well, we, we get concerned about people speaking and droplets coming from their mouth. Well, <laughs> if the football games that you go to or anything like the football games that I go to, people are screaming and hollering the entire time. And I can just imagine, although I don't really want to, all the droplets that are being spewed all over the people in those stands. So I said early on that I'm not going to games this year. As soon as they offered an opportunity to not lose my priority status and not have tickets for this year, I signed up because I knew I personally being 66 years old and being at risk, I was not going to go because there's just this cloud of droplet, whether there's virus on it or not, there's this cloud of droplet being spewed all over the stadium. I was very happy at the first game that I watched to see that the band had some sort of mesh over the, the brass instruments. So these instruments that typically do spew a fair amount of moisture uh, are not going to be spreading droplets uh, all over the entire rest of the band and, and whoever might be down in front of them listening to the band. But the, the spectators have got to feel safe. And, and I think the schools have done a pretty good job of distancing. They're putting about a quarter probably 20 to 30% somewhere in that range of the usual number of people in the stands. And the way I've seen it done, it looked like it was done fairly safely. Most people were wearing masks. It's interesting. I have a picture from a football game at Georgia tech in 1918 during the Spanish flu pandemic. And every person in the picture was wearing a mask, but they probably didn't have the political uproar that we have going on about mask and whether you should or shouldn't. And, that's a topic for somebody else's podcast. I wouldn't dare get into that one. But I'm, I'm glad that football is progressing. I wanted to to see some football this year, but, you know, it's, it's a, a balancing act. And I think they're being safe so far, but it's, it's not something that we can rest on our laurels. I think we have to continue to be safe and vigilant. We have to continue to watch for symptoms and test and, and be aware of what's going on around us and, and if these students are, are careful, then they may very well be able to play most of a full season. And the spectators, if they're careful, may be able to be aware of the fact that they played a full season. But a lot of those spectators are my age and older, and I'm telling you, they are at real risk of this virus. So I think it's important that everybody use their head and, and be careful and use the information that they have available to them when they're deciding whether or not they're going to play in or attend a sporting event here in the fall of 2020. And John, that's my sermon on COVID and athletics. Well, you, you gave us some real good info there. You didn't descend into how many games you thought Clemson was going to win. So I guess maybe you think that's a given that they're going to win all of them, right? It is absolutely never a given. Okay. <laughs> my last two years at Clemson, we won three games in two years. So I'm familiar with what it can be. Um, they've got some great football players, but a lot of teams have a lot of great football players. So it'll be interesting to see. Well, seriously, let's talk about one thing that you and I talked about off the air, uh, last time. And we needed to get it out there for folks is about the flu shot itself and when 
folks could should get the flu shot because I was asking you this question because it's already being advertised. Go get the flu shot. So what's right, your right. what tell talk about that? Well, the first thing is every person who have a, has a heartbeat and is over six months old should have a flu shot. Now that's true every year, but it's much more important this year because the possibility of getting both flu and COVID-19 at the same time is huge. And there's absolutely nothing that says you can't get them both at the same time. And that's a real load on your lungs and you don't want that. So everyone should get a flu shot. Now it's always interesting to me that the drug stores and the grocery stores start selling flu shots in sometime like mid August. But what they're doing is they're selling flu shots. They're not preventing the flu because people that get a flu shot in mid August are going to not be, or going to be less likely to be immune to the flu at the end of the actual flu season, which is probably May. So the CDC says, and I like what the CDC says about this. They say to get your flu shot in October. So to me, October is a time to get it. If you're going to get one, get it in October, and you absolutely should get it. Now, the fact that Uncle Harry got sick from the flu when he got a flu shot in 1965 does not mean anything. That's a different flu shot. Back then, it was a weak version of the flu virus, and the way they kept you from getting a bad case of the flu was they gave you a small case of the flu. And just about anybody that got a flu shot back then got a little bit sick. You cannot get sick from a flu shot in 2020, period. You might have a sore arm. You might have a little bit of body aches. You might have a little bit of fatigue. You're not going to get the flu from a flu shot. And trust me, you're better off having these minor symptoms than you are the flu. So everyone should get a flu shot and everyone should get it in October. And folks, Dr. Morrill covered of general myths about flu shot in a pre-pandemic episode back in episode 18. Uh, and there are plenty of myths about the flu shot even before COVID-19 came along. So, uh, so, uh, check that one out if you're interested, um, in that it was, it was a really enlightening one. So uh, let's talk a little bit about high school football, because that's, yeah. a, that's got different dynamic to it than college. Um, not to mention the fact that you got parents that, um, you know, really want to be with their kid, watching their kid play play ball, and and band members, right, that want to be there. So, right. um, uh, and parents of band, uh, high school band. So, t- talk a little bit about that piece of it. Well, the the thing about high school ball is a lot of it's the same. You still have to be aware. You still have to be doing some sort of testing. I I know they're not doing it like colleges are. They can't afford to. Mm -hmm. But you have to have some sort of testing in place. And you have to be talking constantly to these kids about any symptoms they might be having so that at the very beginning you can catch kids that might have some symptoms and trace back who they've been around and try to nip that in the bud. Because if you don't, you're going to have a gigantic problem. But, uh, you know, high school sports present – a wide range of problems, not the least of which is they can barely afford to conduct the sport without an audience, without fans in the stands. Mm-hmm. And so they're having to to find a way to bring people in the stands and at the same time not have too many 
and to try to get them to distance and so forth. It is a completely different dynamic and the ability to control what goes on, I don't think is nearly as good as the ability is in college and, and pro sports. But, uh, you know, these kids are at risk. There is a, a small but real possibility that one of them could have serious complications or some of them could have serious complications from the virus. So it's something that they're, they're still looking into and, and trying to deal with right here in the midst of the season itself. Yeah. Tough, tough decisions to make. That's for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I got from here. And congr- right. well, congratulations again on the award. That's just awesome. Thank you very much. We're very, very happy with that. And again, we, we owe that to the, the patients that entrust their care to us. And we do appreciate that from them. So for now, that is to your health.